Peace be with you and welcome to a brand new episode of the Burning Strength Show. I'm your host, as always, Father Christopher Cox. You're listening to the recording of episode 115 and it happens to be a Friday and it is in the month of May already, believe it or not. We are in May. I know some people are still stuck in April. Some of you might even be stuck in March, but it is the month of May right now, at least as of this recording. So happy for you uh, to be to join me. So thank you for uh, for joining me for this episode. Uh, last two episodes, we talked a little bit about prayer. I want to continue that series on prayer. So two episodes ago, we talked kind of an intro to prayer. What is prayer? Uh, this past episode 114, I led you through a guided meditation. So all these episodes you can still access online. You can access them through Spotify if you'd rather do that. Uh, so that's all available there. Um, I know iTunes carries it, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, as well as other podcasting services. I, I happen to like to use Podcast Addict is my app of choice, but however you listen to it. So today we're going to be talking about praying with music. Uh, a little bit of a precursor to that. I'll explain that and then how to do that. And then I'll give you my spoiler-free review of Impractical Jokers, the movie. All right, for our first segment, I'll be talking about praying with music. How do you do that? What does that mean? What does that mean for me? What are some suggestions that I have? Is there one right way of doing that? Is there a plethora of ways of doing that? What does the history of that look like? There are so many different um, aspects to this. And I know those of you who are musicians have been doing this for a very long time. Many of you have been already doing this for a long time, maybe without even realizing it. And maybe some of you have been doing it for a long time and have realized that you've been praying through music. But I do want to give you a little bit of my insight as a priest into praying with music and what that has meant for me. Um, how uh, we do that as a parish community, as a church community, and just how we've done that. There's so many aspects to this. So let me take a drink of water here just because, um, well, we'll be getting into uh, quite a bit here. So music, (laughs) let's start there. Music is something that has existed you know, long before written history, I mean, you have to imagine there there is a rhythm of life. Thinking about the beating of your heart, if you were just, just to hold your hand over your chest, if you can feel the beating of your heart, there's a rhythm to that. You know, if it beats out of rhythm, you know, there are various medical conditions that uh, revolve around that. But there is a rhythm to your heartbeat, even that breath you just took. There's a rhythm to your breathing. You know, there's a rhythm to the way that you know, God has created this world. And the beauty of music is that it works with that world rhythm and creates a rhythm within itself. Sometimes it's a fast rhythm. Sometimes it's a slower rhythm. But there is a rhythm to that. And that's what makes music music. 
is there is a form of rhythm, of tempo, and it just works with that great rhythm of life that God has created on this great planet that we call home, planet Earth here. Even just think about, you know, the rustling of the leaves as the wind blows, thinking about, you know, the the waves of a lake or an ocean, just how calming that is for people, the rhythm of that, um, especially at certain times of of the day, certain times of the night, you can just feel the rhythm, see the rhythm, you know, thinking about the crickets, you know, it's starting to get uh, a little bit closer to summertime now. So you start to hear the, the nighttime crickets, maybe the hooting of the owls, you know, during the day you hear the whistling of the birds and there's a great rhythm to that even as well. You know, we call certain birds songbirds just because of just how they've created a song within themselves. So this planet itself within creation is built in a rhythm. So it makes sense that something like music exists. And because there's a rhythm of life, we call art a recreation, an imitation, a... Um, a creative approach to what already exists out there. So when we think of paintings, when we think of sculptures, um, other forms of art of that nature, what you're finding in the artist is a recreation and an interpretation of life, of an event, of a scene, of something that you know, a group of people or animals or just nature is doing. And so too do we call music a form of art. It is an art form that takes what already exists and kind of repositions it to create its own rhythm, its own uh, tempo, its, its own song. And going back again, long before written history, in just about every culture, there's been a form of music. And that's the beauty of just humanity is humanity has been able to pick up on that real fast. And every culture is using their own forms of instruments and their own forms of percussions and their own forms of, of lyrics and, and singing. And that's what's been so beauty about world history is that you can see how there are certain things that are unique to each culture and history, but there are some things that transcend culture. And art and music are some of those things that transcend culture. So something that uh, as, as people started to look up at the sky and people started to wonder what's out there and they started to get an idea of, you know, that all of this exists and there, there is a rhythm to it and there has to be a designer behind it, a creator. They started to create stories behind it and God started to interact with that humanity and different uh, religions started to pop up. You know, as Christians, as Catholics, we uh, find our roots in the Judeo, uh, in the Jewish uh, faith. So our Old Testament is all about our Jewish brothers and sisters and how God interacted with them. And even some of those Jewish stories, scripture scholars can tell you, um, 
are borrowed from some of the the myths around the area. So something like Noah's Ark was actually a borrowed story called the Epic of Gilgamesh, which I believe was from the Babylonian Empire, um, which was one of the surrounding areas uh, at the time. Now, what's beautiful about that is that they could borrow some of the imagery from that and help to create the story of of just how God is faithful to his promises. And, you know, God being there, inspiring that story uh, is a very be- beautiful thing. So throughout the, the ages, you know, there have been, you know, wonderful stories written. And the beautiful thing about music is music has also captured a lot of the just sentimentality of people, the mindsets of people, you know, the thoughts that they have going on in their heads, the feelings that they have going on in their hearts. And each generation has created it, and each different culture too, has created its own type of music as a result of that. So if you go all the way back to the Old Testament era, what's beautiful about that is that uh, the Old Testament era helps us to come into contact with um, some of uh, the Jewish people, um, their their music. So they call to mind, you know, um, timbrel and dance, you know, in some of the Psalms. You hear about lyres and harps, you know, two different instruments and, you know, various percussion instruments. You know, they actually have music, uh, musical instruments that are recalled in Scripture. And even the Psalms, um, while we recite the Psalms in word most of the time, you know, think about when we're at Sunday Mass. At Sunday Mass most of the time, what we're doing is we actually um, sing. We chant the Psalms. Why? Well, the original intention from our understanding uh, in Scripture scholarship is that these Psalms were intended to be sung in some way. And so you can get something like the Abbey Psalter or other forms of ancient Psalters that, uh, that help give some notations of how, how, or what are some ways to chant these Psalms. And then in the modern day, um, you know, as time has went on, there's been different, you know, um, different ways of, of chanting and singing these Psalms that have been created by artists throughout the, the various centuries. So going all the way back to, in church history, Gregory the Great. You know, Gregory the Great, one of the wonderful things that makes him great is he helped to create so much church music that was used and continues to be used today, but was used predominantly through over millennia of the church's history. And how beautiful that is that, uh, you know, there's, there's so much chant um, that, that exists in church history that can be ascribed to the fact that Gregory the Great helped to uh, invigorate the church and its, and its liturgies and its prayer form through song. And so he, uh, him and a bunch of other artists um, and, and monks and priests and nuns and lay people and bishops, all, all, all of the church uh, started to create music. And it changes uh, according to culture, and it changes according to era. So if you go through 
uh, the Middle Ages, of course, you start to get different instruments that are introduced and different instruments according to where it happens. So as the church starts to expand throughout the world, uh, you start to get some of the native instruments that are added to it. So if you go to to Africa, you start to get some of the conga drums that are that are added to it. Some of the other percussion instruments. I love African percussion instruments. I think they they sound wonderful. They sound absolutely wonderful. So some of those are added into it, and it creates a rhythm to them to the mass. And even something like liturgical music or liturgical music, liturgical dance, uh, continues to exist in um, Africa, uh, and and it and it's used. Uh, quite a bit in Africa because uh, that's just part of their history. If you go far east out to Asia, a number of the Asian instruments um, are used, a number of the the stringed instruments as well as the uh, the other instruments uh, that, that are native to that area. Um, Australia, I know that that was the case in Australia. Uh, even here in America, when uh, the missionaries started to come to North America, Central America, South America, uh, the Native Americans started to uh, incorporate their instruments into uh, the mass. But meanwhile, in Europe, they were using the classical instruments of like Bach and Beethoven and Brahms, you know, who would also create these high mass, high masses. Um, and you can listen to some of these high masses. They, they still exist. You know, thankfully, people preserve their music and you can listen to some of them. And we still use some of them, you know, throughout the world. The, the, this music that was meant to be for the mass, you know, um, and, you know, we continued through a good portion of history to, to continue to use that. And, uh, you know, in, after Vatican II, Vatican II, um, you know, allowed, you know, other instruments, you know, the, the preferred instrument has always been the organ, the church organ, but uh, some areas, some cultures can't afford that or they don't have the means to do that. So uh, they allowed things like um, pianos and violins and, um, you know, woodwind instruments, brass instruments, started to allow things like um, guitars, uh, other percussion instruments, and uh, just ways to express the faith and to give praise and glory to God, because that's ultimately what it is, you know. Um, so I gave you a little bit of the history, but you know, w- what what is the point of music? It and and point of music, uh, Christian music, Jewish music. What was the point of all of that? It's to praise God. You think about you know the last time you prayed. You know, you might have prayed th- with a devotional prayer. Uh, you know, like the rosary, the chaplet of divine mercy, which uh, the stations of the cross, uh, you might have um, spent a little bit of time praying with the mass online. Um, if you're listening to this while we're still in uh, isolation and not able to physically gather in mass, uh, you could have prayed a spontaneous prayer. You know, um, it could have been something that uh, you just wanted to thank God for something or wanted to offer a mass intention, for, or not a mass intention, but a prayer intention for somebody who um, might be ailing right now. Maybe you prayed before a meal, uh, whatever it might be. You know, there there was a form of prayer that you did. And there's probably a good chance that you didn't pray it with music. Now, I know that there's a chant tone uh, for uh, the Chaplet of Divine Mercy in particular. But a lot of people just pray that without the chant tone because it makes it easier to pray it when you don't have to worry about hitting certain chant notes. But 
there is all different forms of, uh, of prayer in the church, and, and there's so many more than what I just listed off. That was just a the, the, the tiniest tip of the iceberg when it comes to the depths of the church's prayer. Um, but uh, I wanted to to dedicate this segment to something that you and I probably do very frequently, which is praying through music. So think about uh, the last time you were listening to Mass, watching Mass, praying at Mass physically. You know, when there was music, you know, think about the the hymns that were sung, uh, the psalm that was sung. There was a song, uh, sung psalm response. You know, each of those songs was the prayer of the church community at the time. And that's what makes uh, music, uh, Christian music, so beautiful is that it becomes our prayer form. And I know for, for me in particular, um, when I was younger, you know, so here's a little bit of my history with, with praying with music is up until like my middle school years, you know, I, I loved music. I love listening to the latest music at the time. I could have told you all of the top 10. I loved watching a show called Total Request Live on MTV. Some of you who are my uh, peers, my contemporaries, I uh, probably remember watching the same show as a top 10 show on MTV. Uh, I remember watching VH1 and, and some of the, the great music videos at the time. And uh, just l- loving music. I loved music. And I didn't really know much about Christian music other than what we sang at church until I was probably in eighth grade uh, and going into high school. Um, the parochial vicar at my parish introduced me to it. Uh, because he introduced me to an artist by the name of Michael W. Smith. Many of you know who he is. He's very popular. But Michael W. Smith, some of his music was a predominant part of our Living Stations of the Cross as a, as a parish. Um, when My parish growing up. And um, I remember listening to the song that was a big part of the Living Stations. But uh, I, would, I would put it on repeat. But then, you know, it dawned on me. It's like there's like 11 other songs on this CD. Let me listen to those. You know, some of those, some of the songs I really didn't care for, I'll be honest with you, but there are other ones. I was just like, wow, this sounds just like the stuff I'm listening to on the radio. Like it was just as catchy for me. Um, it was, uh, he was a good singer. The instrumentation behind it, the production value was great. And it was, it was something I just enjoyed doing. And so going into high school, one of my favorite music types was actually Christian music. Now, I wouldn't dare tell my friends that, aside from youth group friends, but it was seriously one of the things I loved so much. And then I started get to be introduced to other Christian music artists, other Catholic music artists. You started attending a local uh, festival here in our diocese called The Fest. Uh, happens every first uh, Sunday of August. And being introduced to more artists, but it was a live concert. My first concerts were actually uh, Christian music art, uh, artist concerts at the fest. And it was like, wow, it was so amazing. I, I continued to listen to some of these artists all these years later. And and I didn't realize for a good part of me was that uh, I was praying with this music. And I think that was what was so uplifting about it. It was different than the music I was listening to on the radio because I was listening to it for the sake of listening to it. And, I, you know, I'd sing along with it, but it didn't have any value to me. But when I was listening to Christian music, it had a lot of value to me. It was so much different than the music I was listening to at, at church. And the, the, unfortunately, the stuff at church didn't really um, help 
me in my prayer life. You know, they weren't sentiments that that I was feeling. And maybe perhaps a lot of you were feeling the same way. It just, it didn't stick out to me. You know what really stuck out to me most when what, that we'd sing at Mass was the real classic stuff. You know, you're talking about Gregory the Great chant stuff. You, you're talking like the old school um, when they would pull out the, the Alleluia chorus for something like Easter, when they would pull out the instruments, the, the classic instruments, the violin, the, uh, the brass instruments, the, uh, the woodwind instruments, you know, uh, the organ, you know, it, there was beauty to that. And, and I loved that in, in, in the Latin music, I, I, I loved like just listening to it. And once I started to get to know some of the, the translations, it was like, wow, like, no wonder why this sounds so majestic. It sounds like heaven to me. And then, um, but it seemed like the stuff from the sixties, seventies, eighties didn't really like help my spiritual life. Didn't really help my prayer life. And there's certain artists like even when I I look at their uh, the music, it's like yeah, like that's not really one. It's not really good theology, but two, it it doesn't sound very good. So and then three, it just the the lyrics are not good lyrics. I was listening to a book recently because I've had a lot of time to either listen to books or read books uh, called Generation Z. It's written by this predominant. Uh, uh, Christian pastor at uh, one of the mega churches, but he's a brilliant guy. His theology is very close to to Catholic theology, so I like listening to him. And it's it's about Generation Z. For those of you who don't know, Generation Z is the generation um, of those living th- uh, from 1996 and beyond. Like they were born 1996 and beyond that. So they're not millennials. Um, millennials right now uh, would be people 25 and older. So like 25 to like 43, 44 years old. Uh, I think it's uh, 95, 78 to 95 is the millennial generation. So, uh, and, mo- and that's most uh, s- studies have kind of used that as a as a guide. So if you're born in 78, sorry, you're millennial, according to most studies. You might not feel like that, but you are. Um, and if you're born in 95, yes, you're millennial, even though you might want to identify more with uh, Generation Z. But um, I was listening to this book, and and he pointed out a big thing that I was feeling when I was a kid too. This is where I identify with uh, with um, obviously my generation, the millennials, and I identify with Generation Z, which is um, you know songs like as a guy, as a guy, you don't want to go to mass like singing all the songs that that kind of feel like Jesus is my boyfriend. I was I was laughing recently we had a festival of praise at the parish and um a digital one and I was talking with the 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 band and uh this was back when we first started doing festivals of praise here they're like what what do you mean by Jesus is my boyfriend songs and I said well to put it bluntly it's it's a song that you would sing to somebody who you would consider to be your boyfriend. Um, so as a guy, it feels really awkward to sing those songs because we don't really see Jesus that way. You know, um, for a woman, it, it feels different. You know, women and female are like, our, our spiritualities are very different. Um, and I, I didn't want to be singing songs that uh, sounded like Jesus is my boyfriend. It's okay to have one or two of those songs, but it felt like a lot of those songs felt, uh, yeah, had that same like, feel. So 
uh, you know, lo and behold, um, you know, a lot of those those 60s, 70s, 80s songs kind of sounded like that to me. But modern day Christian music, there's a great um, rhythm to it. There's a great, uh, uh, you know, th- theology to a number of the songs, not all of them, but a number of the songs, especially by the, ca- the Catholic artists. Um, they're also they're also good studies of theology. I, I give them a lot of credit. But um you know, what it, it kind of took me to was uh, an era, you know, I love my Gregorian chant, um, which is, again, praying. It's praying through that music. And that's what I'd encourage you to do is if you're listening to Christian music, read the lyrics, read the lyrics, know what you're praying. And it's okay to pray these songs, to sing these songs aloud. But ha- when you're singing the songs, don't just sing them like you do um, any song on the radio. Sing them with the intention of praying with them. That's how you pray with music is sing, play the music, if you are an instrumentalist, with the intention of making that your prayer. You know, a lot of prayer is all about your intentionality. You know, what is your intentionality when you're, you're, you're singing these songs, when these songs are playing? You know, you can listen to them just for the sake of listening to them. That's okay. And sing with them just for the sake of singing with them. That's okay. But if you really want to pray with them, make that intention, your intention, you know, Put your focus into that song. If you're driving the car, if you're walking through a park, you're even just in your house and the song comes on and you want to pray with the music, you have to stop what you're doing and pray with it. Focus on it. Just as you would be uh, focused on somebody right in front of you that you're talking to, be focused on God who's always in your midst when you're praying with that music. And God will honor that moment. Okay, for our second segment, here's my spoiler-free review of Impractical Jokers, the movie. Uh, it seems weird to call it a spoiler-free review because it's not, it's not really like a movie. It's um, it's the show, the Impractical Jokers, the TV show, which airs on True TV, but sort of like in movie format. Uh, right now, the uh, the movie just came out on digital not too long ago. And it was released early on digital just because of everything going on in the world. It uh, has a 35% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 6.1 on IMDb, the Internet Movie Database, uh, which are not so good ratings. Uh, basically, what you're doing is you're uh, going on a road trip with the guys, the four guys, uh, the Impractical Jokers. And uh, what they're trying to do is trying to, uh, I guess figure out which one of them is going to this Paula Abdul concert and they're hoping to kind of erase something that happened in their childhood when they were younger um, in uh, at a Paula Abdul concert. So <laughs> and there's not really much of a, of a plot to it. It's, it's, it's pretty corny actually. Honestly, um, I don't know much of what I liked about it. <laughs> be honest, it was pretty, it was pretty terrible. It was pretty terrible. Um, there was one good stick in it, um, and that involves Joe in a cave. And I'll let you, uh, you know, if you happen to want to YouTube that, it's worth YouTubing. Uh, I don't know if they'll show it on YouTube, but uh, the movie is an hour and 33 minutes, and I felt like I wasted my time watching it. Good thing I rented it. I didn't buy it 
because it was just absolutely terrible. Like the beauty of the Impractical Joker show, which is amazing. I love it and encourage you, uh, you know, if you like comedy to watch it. But this felt way too scripted. Like it it was just they, they looked awkward. They sounded awkward and it felt awkward as a viewer. And um, it really there weren't wasn't much of a redeeming value on it. And I'll be honest, this is probably going to be the lowest movie review rating that I'm ever going to give a, a movie, but I'm going to actually give this a three out of 10. Um, it's really not even worth spending your money to rent it. If you can find it for 99 cents, maybe watch it just to uh, to verify my claims, but if, please let me save you some money. It's It's not worth it. My brothers and sisters, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of The Burning Strength Show. Hope to come back to you soon with episode 116. We'll continue our journey through prayer. So may God continue to bless you and your families as you continue to help pray us through this pandemic time.